Welcome to Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. This is Recast, episode 62. This is part one of my conversation with my good friend, Garth Justice, who just recently came off the Reba McIntyre tour. Uh, before I get to Garth, I want to do the pick of the week. Um, my pick of the week for this week is a great album by one of my all-time favorite artists who was really popular in the late 80s and the mid-90s, in through the mid-90s, Jude Cole. I He's got two albums that have come out in the last year and a half to two years. One is an album of covers, which is great. But my pick of the week is the Jude Cole album, Coupe de Maine. So you can listen to it on Spotify and Apple Music, I believe. But you can also... Uh, watch it on YouTube, and I haven't been able to find a hard copy, but I've listened to it on repeat for the last two weeks. I love this album. It's got so many great songs on it. I love Jude Cole. He's a great writer, great musician, and a phenomenal singer. One of the best voices in the history of pop music, rock music. So good. So Coupe Domain is my pick of the week. So my question, email question of the week comes from my nephew, Troy Cruzen, who actually listens to the show, and he's moving from San Diego to Wyoming. And Troy emailed me and asked me, were there any songs on the White Heart Inside album that were recorded but didn't make the album? So songs that are kind of like just living in a vault somewhere waiting to uh, see the light of day. So the answer to that question is... Barely a yes. Um, there was two versions of even the hardest heart. There was the acoustic version, which made the album. And then there was a rock version that did not make the album. And to my knowledge, according to everybody in the band, I was the only one that had a copy of the rock version of that song. And someone had posted on Facebook a couple years back looking for a copy of it. So I decided to take some clips from the studio and from the road I did a little music video and put it to the to the rock version of Even the Hardest Heart, and it's on the Stage Right with John Thorne YouTube channel if you want to go check out that version of the song. That's the only version that didn't make the album. There were no other songs other than Even the Hardest Heart. There were two versions. One didn't make it, but it's on my YouTube channel. Um, in pre-production, the way that album unfolded, we basically were in pre-production for the album and the songs were kind of being written as we went. The guys and Ken Scott knew exactly how many songs would be on the album. They knew as they were written, if one was good enough or not. So nothing got really recorded and then set aside. It was all decided before everything was recorded, what was going to go on the album and what wasn't. So there you go, Troy. Thanks for, uh, emailing the question and hopefully that's an interesting answer for you so ladies and gentlemen please help me welcome to the program today the nicest guy you'll meet and one of the most talented guys you'll ever meet garth justice how you doing today garth oh thanks for having me john it it really is an honor oh man the honor is all mine so let's jump right into this thing you and i have talked extensively about our background in the church of god Oh, yeah. We kind of, you and I had a similar path that we took to Nashville. So start at the beginning for you when you were a kid growing up in the Church of God in Cleveland. Tell everyone your childhood musical journey. 
Yeah, I, I, I was born and raised in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, home of the Good Sweet Church of God that we have yes. uh, all <laughs> we've talked so much about and, and love so much. Uh, yeah, I, I was surrounded by music as a as a kid. My family's very musical. My my grandfather, on my dad's side, was um, a preacher, and so um, uh, you know, church music was always very important, as it is in most church of gods, you know? Right. Um, and my grandmother played guitar and sang and she taught my, my dad, uh, to play guitar. And so, um, yeah, everybody, everybody in our family's musical, you know, either singing or playing an instrument. So I was surrounded from the very beginning, uh, as far as family goes. And then, you know, in the church, like I said, you know, growing up around the church, just, inundated with with music so that was always nice too right it's kind of hard to explain to someone that didn't grow up in the church of god how prominent and important music was in the church of god it still is yeah it always always has been yeah and it was such a such a focus um especially i grew up at at north cleveland church of god which uh i've heard mentioned a couple times on your podcast right yeah so so north cleveland was kind of known as the mother church (laughs) of the church of god for a long time sure and there was a there's a great choir that's still active there formed in the late 60s or, or or early 70s i don't remember exactly uh but the crusader choir is um uh that's really where i got my musical start backing them up every every Sunday morning when I was a kid um, and uh, you know, the big choral arrangements and this was, this was pre worship team. This was pre song and all that kind of thing. So the the choir was the worship leader uh, of uh, of the service. And then, you know, your music minister obviously would, would lead some choruses as well. But um, yeah, I, I really got my, my musical foundation from, backing up a big, you know, 50, 75 voice choir. So, um, it it was a good, good way to learn how to, how to play to a room and how to, how to accompany, Mm -hmm. you know, as a drummer, um, uh, a a group. So, right. Mostly made up of people that could hear the drummer, but didn't necessarily follow or listen to the drummer. Well, yeah, they didn't have much of a choice, you know, (laughs) (laughs) And that and that was part of my challenge, you know, in in, in a in a in a big uh, a big sanctuary like uh, at North Cleveland, you know, the drums are just killing everybody. Right. Uh, so so I made it kind of a game for myself to see how uh, see how quietly I could play. Uh, I wasn't always successful, um, but right. but uh, but I you know I I would try to make it a a a goal of mine to not get in the way of the choir, you right. know, yeah, because that's the most important thing. The vocals are the, you know, the centerpiece of, of mu- of that kind of music, the choral music. So, right. Okay. So you have the choral music and you have the Christian music and the church music imprint on you. At what point in your musical journey did you become aware of secular music? When did that touch you? No, I, I honestly, I, I did love Christian music, but I, I remember my dad, um, uh, playing the Beatles, um, on his way, he owned a music store oh, wow. uh, in in Chattanooga, and so we would have a thirty minute drive up to his up to his store uh, when I would go to work with him. And so I remember, um, I th- I think Abbey Road was the first tape 
that that I discovered of the Beatles, and then he had oh Sergeant Pepper's as well. Sure. Uh, and I remember listening to those, to those tapes, and uh, <laughs> so he pretty much, thank you, Dad. He pretty much just started you out listening to the best. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, top down kind of thing. Um, I was never heavily into into pop music until probably probably junior high when I when I started um, you know listening to the police and and sting and James Taylor and um, Toto and you know the 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 great bands of the of the 80s <laughs> right um, so got into got into all that a little later okay so musical styles came later what about music itself like when you went to the music store with your dad did you just play drums or did you play other instruments? Were you drawn to other stuff? Did you learn other instruments? No, you know what? I, I would mess around with guitars. Um, but my dad was an amazing, is still an amazing, uh, guitarist. Hmm. He, um, in the kind of the, the Chet Atkins finger style, sure. you know, accompanies himself kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's really amazing to watch. That's cool. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I think maybe I thought uh, that he had that covered. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I stuck to, I stuck to drums. What was kind of cool though, is um, uh, he started playing bass at North Cleveland. Nice. Um, he had never played bass before. He was, he was just a guitarist and, but they needed a bass player. Wow. And so he started playing bass and this was even before I was, um, I was drumming um, uh, at church. And so when I when I started drumming, Dad was the bass player. So it, we automatically had that kind of um, synchronicity that drummers and bass players need to have. Sure. And um, you know that just that just deepened as we as we played more and more together. But yeah, so so he was a he was a great bass player uh, as well as a great guitarist. So I, I again I messed around on bass, you know, but I've never really I never really took anything else sure. seriously um, enough to <laughs> to really dive in. I always just loved drums. When I, when I was a kid, dude, I got a set of drums and uh -huh. I loved them. I loved playing drums, but my mom just couldn't cope. They were just too loud for her. Sure. Man, I, I was, I have to tell you, I was very blessed and shout out to mom and dad. Um, <laughs> they never once asked me to, to be quiet or stop playing. In fact, I was just thinking about this the other day. In fact, they told me, look, if, if you're playing drums, when we go to bed, you can play all night long, play as long as you want to just don't start playing after we've gone to bed. Mm. So, so, so they could go to sleep to the noise and that was fine. But, uh, as long as I didn't, you know, start playing. Dude, that is so awesome. Shout out to mom and dad for such a cool, great support system. Absolutely. Okay. So if you were anything like me, it was probably around this time when you bought your first album. What was the first album you bought with your own money? Very first album, uh, first tape yeah. <laughs> uh, that I bought with my own money was uh, Rust Taft's Metals. Oh, man. Uh, with um, the, the great inimitable Paul Lyme on drums. Yes. And man, I wore that thing out, <laughs> wore that thing out. And I actually, that, that, um, of course I had heard Russ with, uh, Imperials and, 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 uh, 
um, all that. But I don't know that I had discovered walls of glass yet. Wow. Um, and so, and so I, I kind of worked backwards, um, uh, into, uh, into that great record walls of glass. So, but, but metals was great. Yeah. Those first three or four Russ Taff albums are burned in my soul. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the production quality, I mean, just top to bottom, it was just, it was done right. The players were amazing. Um, the songs were great, you know, just really good stuff. None of them sounded the same. He reinvented himself every album. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to Walls of Glass. And then I remember after I found out that Jeff Picaro uh -huh. had played on that and uh, Mike Baird had played on that. And Nathan East was on that. I listened to Walls of Glass completely different. Mm -hmm. There was so much mystery when you would read liner notes and right. see those names of those guys and wonder what they were like in the studio. Right. It just changed how I listened to those albums because I listened to Russ as a fan, but now I was listening to those musicians and those amazing tracks they played right. as a fan. Right, exactly. Um, the same with um, uh, Brian Duncan. Yep. Brian Duncan was doing some great records yeah. um, during that time and using yeah. a lot of the LA guys. Yes. John Robinson and 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 Jeff played on a, a couple of his records, mm -hmm. Nathan East and all those guys. Those tracks on those Brian Duncan albums had so much feel and so much groove to them. Uh -huh. It's like the producer said to the musicians, all right, everybody take your handcuffs off. Just be free to be you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're absolutely right. Those tracks were so strong, he could not help but sing the way he sang because there was so much groove in those tracks. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't until years later that I that I even knew that um, that he was in uh, a Sweet Comfort Band <laughs> and that they had done "Love You with My Life." I remember my my um, that's the first track I heard off that Brian Duncan um, Lunatic Friend record. Wow! And my youth my youth director. Uh, David Blair, who passed away sadly last year from from COVID, yeah, um, guy who replaced you in Harvest, yep. on bass, he sure yeah. did. Um, anyway, uh, it, we were at an all night lock in, and he said, "Hey guys, I got to play you this song for you. I heard this song this week," and he played that song. Man, it was it was heavy. Love you with my life is a great Brian Duncan song for sure. Um, getting back to David Blair for just a minute, he and I were friends in college. We had Bible classes together and stuff. And uh, last year, Mark Swank called to tell me that David had passed away. And um, very sorry for your loss because I know you guys were close. Man, uh, yeah, it was that was awful. And I was on the I was on the West Coast and couldn't get back for his service or anything like that. It just just about killed me. He was a huge, huge influence and a and a uh, uh, a big part of pushing me to. Um, not pushing. That's that's not a bad word. Encouraging me to to really dig in and and you know further my giftings and and uh, you know right. Gosh, I yeah, I, I, I can't say enough about David. Well, David was part of that Cleveland Lee College Church of God music scene, and talk about how you came up in that and how you ended up going to Lee and your musical progression. Uh, through your college years, right? Absolutely. Well, um, you and I have some some similar storylines in our in our path. Uh, we we were both mm -hmm. uh, influenced by Danny Murray and traveled with Danny Murray. Uh, Danny was actually uh, okay. Going back to when I first started playing drums, right? Uh, in church, Danny was the first 
person to ask me to play. Oh wow! In church, and uh, so it was a Sunday night, and uh, I think I was. My mom says I was seven. I I don't remember. Uh, but the drummer didn't show up for evening service that Sunday night. You were seven, and I was sitting out in the pews. Oh, wow! And Danny calls down to me. He says, "Garth, hey, could could you play? Could you play for the service tonight?" And boy, I I, I mean. I just thought I'd hit the jackpot, right. you know? So <laughs> I went up and I, I think I probably had to stop playing a few times. Just, to, you know, I was so nervous and, uh, yeah. uh, and excited. And he, he, he turned around and get me back on the beat, you know, but, uh, you know, Hey, that humble beginnings. Right. Right. Well, the name Danny Murray outside the church of God probably doesn't have the same weight as it does in the church of God, but in the church of God, Danny Murray was, he was Church of God music. Right, right. Or, or you know, uh, I mean, I, he and uh, he and Roger Breland are um, kind of similar yes. um, motivators. And um, how else could I say it? Uh, they, 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 they see, they see nuggets in people yep. that others don't necessarily see. And they are willing to um, and this this is what Danny did for me. He 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 saw the the nugget of 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 what he thought I could be, and he was determined hmm. to help me find right myself, you know, and and find my find my giftings and and um, right on and, and and all that kind of stuff. So well, it would have been a huge endorsement for anyone, let alone a seven year old. But it had to when he called you up on stage to play. It had to have been a rush for you. Oh my gosh! Oh, it was a huge rush. But uh, you know, I mean, looking back now, I'm uh, I I know exactly what it was. He was desperate for a drummer. Well, sure, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. It was a win win. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you know, hey, uh, it's a Sunday night. Let's give let's give this kid a chance. Sure. And uh, but yes, I mean, what a what a what a huge moment in my life you yeah. know um and one that i look back on still and just think man what you know if that hadn't happened what would i still be doing what i'm sure you know it's just one of those pivotal pivotal moments and right and we've talked about it several times danny and i have so um it, it's a uh, it's something we laughed about but <laughs> uh but later on um so you asked about my musical upbringing in Cleveland and all that kind of stuff. So that was the first time I played. Okay. Um, another friend of yours, Mike Childers, was one of my first drum teachers. Oh wow! And so yeah, we would uh, we would um, we would get together there in the sanctuary at North Cleveland, and he would put on um, he'd bring his boombox and he'd have me sit at the kit and he'd play. The, the one I remember playing most is Amy Grant's Unguarded record. Mm. And he put that tape on and have me play along to it. And then he'd turn the volume down mm. on the, on the boom box and he'd have me keep playing. And then he turned the volume back up and see if my time had wavered. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a great, great learning tool. Sure. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how many times I've ever didn't waver, but you know, Anyway, we had a good time, but I actually showed up for a lesson one day, and he was on the truth bus. He had left to to join the truth. So, oh wow! Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so Mike, Mike, and a guy named Chip Hancock uh, was probably my first drum teacher, and he taught me to to read music. And he's a great drummer, still still working in the Chattanooga area. 
Okay, so then after Mike left and went on the road with Truth, pick it up there for me. What what happened for you next? Uh, the the next major influence, uh, as far as drumming goes, for me was another guy that came to Lee and traveled with Danny, a guy named Jeff Freeman. I don't know if you ever worked with Jeff. I did, but Jeff was Jeff was a great drummer. Um, traveled with Danny for for a while, and then um, later on. Um, guy named Steve Black, who was the music minister at uh, North Cleveland, mm-hmm. would hire Jeff to come up and play on Sundays. Um, this is this I'm I'm like preteen kind of area. And, you know, I, 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 I had been playing in church some, but I didn't have the I didn't have the thing together yet. You know, and so he would hire Jeff to come up from Gaston, Alabama and play on Sunday mornings. And then Jeff would stick around and give me a drum lesson on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Oh, cool! So he, he, he and again a great player. He turned me on to to Rush and uh, Neil Peart. So uh, uh, kudos to Jeff right. uh, for that. But uh, yeah, so you know from from that point, um, after a little while, I kind of moved into that chair of you know being the regular drummer at north cleveland and so i was i was playing every week and um you know learning learning how to read charts and all that kind of thing which um i'm very thankful for Um, sorry my bad um yeah so just kind of learning to read charts and 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 again figuring out how to accompany a a big group of singers right and uh and and not not overplay the room you know yeah so and uh, did that for for a couple of years until until I went to uh, to Lee, and uh, my my dream my goal was to follow in Mike and Jeff's footsteps and go be the drummer for Harvest. Right. Um, you know that that was my that was my goal, and from Harvest I was going to move on to Truth, right. just like Mike had. You know that I mean I really I was. Mike Childers was my, that was my guidepost. That was my, that was my, I wanted to do what he had done and move to Nashville. Right. For sure. So my senior year, I walk into David Blair's office and that's, and he asked me, he said, what are you, you going, you going to leave? I said, yeah, I'm going to leave. He said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'd love to travel with Harvest. And he said, well, Harvest is over. Harvest is done. No way. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I had no idea. So Danny was starting this 16-member acapella group, um, and so I'm thinking, oh gosh, I mean, I, I can, I can sing. I'm not a singer. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. I I can carry a tune. I can hear parts. I can you know I can make noise, but I'm not a singer. Yeah. Uh, like you know, in the in the sense of uh, you know, singers we know and love. Right. Who basically have spent their life singing. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually have talent. I have a gifting there. Right. Right. So I said, uh, I said, okay, well, um, I said, what's the possibility of me getting in that 16 member acapella group? And David said, well, I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll, I'll put a, a good word in for you. Uh, I just wanted to travel with Danny. That that was my that was my aim. You know, he's my he's he was my musical hero since the the time I was a little kid. Right. And um, going to Lee and traveling with Danny that was that was what I was supposed to do. And that you know so um, so David put in a, a word for me with with Danny and I ended up um, 
being the sound man oh, cool. uh, for Voices of Lee, and I sang uh, baritone, barely tone, as as, uh, <laughs> as I thought. Um, but no, I did that for uh, for two and a half years. Nice. And um, met my wife there. That's a bonus. And, uh, yeah, we traveled together for about a year and a half, uh, just as, as good friends. And then um, over a over a summer, we fell in love and started dating. And and uh, I I left Lee without graduating. Unfortunately, I I got uh, I got a little claustrophobic there. Yeah. And so <laughs> so I was ready to. I we Shelly and I both wanted. Shelly's my wife. Shelly and I both wanted to move to Nashville and you know pursue yeah the music business here. Right. And it just didn't seem like doors were opening um, in that area. So, um, so we we actually got offered a job out in Phoenix, Arizona, at a church out there. Oh wow! Um, and let let me back up a, a little bit. Um, sure. During my time at Lee, uh, I started recording uh, quite a bit at the studio there in, in Cleveland at uh, at what was Ford and Faith. It was known as Spirit Sound then. Yeah. Yep, and a friend of mine, uh, James Matchek, a uh, great, great producer, a great engineer, um, programmer, keyboard player. He's one of those, you know, talented guys that just makes you sick because <laughs> you know, he does everything and, and does everything really well. Yeah. So we would record every week. I mean, it was all the time we were we were recording something and, and uh, tracking drums or doing something over there. And so uh, that was a that was a large part of my time at Lee was spent learning the recording process and, and, and that kind of thing at, at, uh, at Spirit Sound with James. Well, James moved to Phoenix, Arizona and took the position as the, um, the head of, of the tech team and all that kind of stuff. They had a recording studio out there. And so he called me and he said, Hey man, I need a, I need another person out here. Would you want to, he said, I know you and Shelly are talking about getting married, moving to Nashville, but would you, would you want to come out here and, and work at the church? So Shelly and I talked it over and we felt like it was a door opening. And so we, we stepped through it and moved out there, worked at a great church in Phoenix for about a year and a half. Um, Very cool. Uh, named, named the Valley Cathedral. And I was originally hired just to, to be on the tech team, but ended up as the uh, kind of the associate music minister, uh, orchestra director and that kind of thing. So it was a good, it was a good opportunity for us to move out as newlyweds and just kind of be, away from family, kind of jump out of the plane and okay, here we've got to figure out how to live together and make right. this work. So it was great. It's awesome that it took all your church music um, background and put all that to use, but also was probably a really good fruitful year and a half for you and Shelly to just get ready to move to Nashville. Exactly. So when that year and a half was up, was it just obvious to move to Nashville? It was, yeah. Um, Shelly actually got a call from um, a corporate entertainment band that a friend of ours um, ran here in Nashville. And um, do you remember Danny Wolf? Did you oh, ever? Oh yeah, I know Danny. Did you ever know Danny? Yeah. So so Danny came out to uh, to Phoenix, and he called and wanted to have lunch with me and Shelly. And he said, "Hey, uh, listen, I've I've recommended both of you uh, a couple different places. He said once to, to Roger Breland. Um, I know he'll be looking for a drummer and possibly a singer coming up pretty soon. So that might be something you're interested in. But another guy, another mutual friend of ours uh, who ran this corporate entertainment band was also looking for a singer. 
So we sent a demo tape in and didn't hear anything. Demo CD, it wasn't a tape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't hear anything back for a couple weeks. And, um, you know, as as fate would have it, God would have it, however you want to say that, um, Shelly was fired from her job. She was working at a business college and she was fired from her job. Wow. Uh, they were they were changing some stuff around. And uh, we got home that day, the, the same day that she had been let go. Mm-hmm. We got home and there was a message on the answering machine from from this guy, Darren Scott. Mm. And he said, hey, I I don't know. Um, I don't know what you guys are into, but I really feel like you you're the one to take the job, Shelly. The same day she was offered a job. And we thought, well, I mean, once again, a door opening, pretty, pretty obvious what we were supposed to do. <laughs> that, that, that same day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, <laughs> it was, it was really bizarre how it happened. But at the same time, we wanted to, we, we loved the church we were at. Sure. Uh, and so, so we just kind of asked God to confirm through, you know, several different things we, we needed to have happen and, and everything was, it just all fell into place. So we knew we were supposed to move to Nashville. That's awesome. So we did, and um, that was in 1998, and we've been here ever since, uh, working in the industry here. Okay, so in the 20 years that you've been in Nashville, you've built a recording career as a drummer. You've also mixed projects. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. tour as a drummer. Uh, your wife sings sessions and stuff. At what point, Sure. tell us the story of how you decided you were going to build a studio in your house and launch into pretty much full-time production stuff. <laughs> well, I, I, I always loved the recording process. Uh, another name that has been mentioned several times on your podcast is Kent Holmes. Right. Uh, Kent is my dad's first cousin by marriage. Oh my goodness. And so, you know, I've known him as uncle Kent all my life, but, um, right. uh, but he was engineering over at Ford and faith and spirit sound. He actually designed that whole studio and, and, and built that studio there in Cleveland. Right. And so anytime I could, uh, I would go, uh, dad would take me over there and we'd, we'd watch recording sessions happening or, or if he needed to stop by and sure. uh, pick something up, we'd, we'd stick around and, and watch the, watch the sessions happening. And I was just always fascinated by the big tape machines and the big console and, you know, all that stuff. Right. And uncle Kent's doing that, you know, I mean, he's making all this happen. Right. Right. So, um, I, I got interested in the recording process then and, you know, flash, uh, uh, fast forward to college. I'm back in that studio and working with a different engineer and, yep. and we're trying to make things work and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then to Phoenix, we had a recording studio out there. Well, I started engineering some vocal sessions and cool. um, uh, I actually mixed my first song while I was out in Phoenix. Right on. Um, uh, uh, and so, so I always loved the recording process. Well, when we moved to Nashville, the band that Shelley had been hired by, uh, we were working in uh, uh, John Laurie's studio. Oh, wow. Down uh, in the border, uh, at the border. Uh, in Franklin. And so when I first arrived, you know, there were, we'd have to hire an engineer and, and hire the room and Mm -hmm. all that kind of the the normal studio kind of stuff where you have to go in and book time at the, at the room and pay the room rate, pay the engineer to come in. Sure. Well, I told Shelly's boss who I, I hadn't, I hadn't been hired at this point, but I told him, I said, Hey, I, I can do some of that stuff. I can, I can engineer 
I can at least punch buttons, you know, if, 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 if you need me to, if you want to save a little money right? or if you want to pay me a little something, you know? Right. Um, so I started doing that, just engineering their vocal sessions. Oh my gosh. And that kind of opened the door to, okay, well, you want to put some drums on this record? Sure. Uh, and at the, at that point they were doing two and sometimes three records a year. Oh, wow. So, um, it, yeah, it was, it's a, it was a really cool thing. Like I said, it's a corporate entertainment thing, but we'd also do worship on Sunday morning. So we would do one kind of pop record every year and one worship record. Hmm. Uh, and so it was a great, great mix of, of stuff there and kept us busy in the studio. So as I did that more and more, the home studio thing was kind of starting to take off, you know, with Pro Tools and, and people being able to record on laptops and that kind of thing. Right, right. Well, we also we also had these old hard disk recorders, these eight-track hard disk recorders. <laughs> I had one of those, yep. The, the, those Darwin hard disk recorders. And so uh, to save money, uh, we started recording vocals on those hard disk recorders. Well, we did that at, at my house. No way. And so I went and bought a, a, a microphone, and I think I bought a, a, I bought a preamp and a compressor from, uh, from Randy Poole, great engineer here in town. Yep. And we just started around everybody around one mic, you know, singing, singing parts. And, and literally it just grew from there a, a couple of years of that. And, and, uh, I found a used pro tool system that the guy who owned the band bought. And that was, you know, that was what they recorded all there or we, at that point I had been hired by this time. I, I came on about a year after Shelly did. Wow. And so we started recording all our records, um, you know, kind of in-house and, and, you know, I, I would have drums set up in the living room and that didn't fly for very long with my very, very patient wife, but she, she was, she was very patient. Uh, but she found us a house with a basement and I set up in there and we lived there for a couple of years. And, and then she found us this other house that we could <laughs> build. The, the model home had a huge unfinished basement. Nice. And so we moved in there and I finally got all the gear out of the uh, living areas. And, uh, she said, you, you know, have as, have as much down there as you want, but just don't, don't bring it up here. Right. So that, that was really how it started. And just literally piece by piece, I would buy a mic, you know, and, and try it out and, 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 um, buy another piece of gear and slowly built up my arsenal. And, um, yeah, it's, a I, I'm a, I'm a gear, a holic anyway. Uh, I love to, to collect right. drums and, and cymbals and audio gear, mics, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's really how it happened. It just piece by piece, I would work and get paid and I'd use that money to, to buy another piece of gear. Right. So it was, it was kind of a self-funding um, process, but. Right. All right. Well, I see on your Facebook page, Garth, you are busy all the time. You're in that circle of uh, really talented people with Dave Cleveland, Gary Lund, a bunch of you guys. You're tracking all the time. Talk about some of the artists that you've worked for, whether you toured with them or played on their albums or produced them in your studio. Give everyone an idea of who you've worked right. with. Uh, you did right. the John Schlitt Go album. You were on several tracks on that album. It's, I, I started out doing a lot of, uh, of choral music, ironically, you know, growing up playing choral music right. in church. And then I moved to town and, um, I started out doing a lot of the choral music sessions. There were several, hmm. 
companies in existence at that point, and sadly uh, that that industry is uh, kind of uh, suffering right now. But I started doing sessions and and meeting meeting people, you know, through those sessions and and getting some other work, uh, which led to working with Keith and Kristen Getty. Uh, I toured with them for about ten years on their yeah. uh, Christmas tour, and I've played on three or four of their records. But I've I've done recordings for um, I've tracked for Petra and for uh, Mandisa, uh, Chris Sly. I don't know if you remember him. He was on American Idol. Great great writer and uh, artist. Yeah. Um, uh, Melissa Green. She was in Avalon for a while. Played on her solo record. Yeah. Um, uh, new song. I played on uh, their uh, one of their Christmas records. Cool. Um, so I have a fondness in my heart for Christmas shoes. You know, everybody else doesn't, doesn't want to hear anymore, but I have a, I have a special place in my heart for Christmas shoes because I, I get a little residual every time one of those records sell. Oh, but, you man, know, um, awesome. <laughs> but I've done, honestly, John, I've done more, uh, I've done more custom. Sure. I hate to say small because nothing's small to the people who are, um, right. who are recording, but I've, I've had a career of, of doing records that are, are not necessarily you know, gold or, or platinum sellers, but, but we do really good work and, and you work with really great people. Yeah. But Garth, that's where the music industry is right now. Yeah, absolutely. But that's more impressive than if you were doing stuff for labels every day, because 99% of the music made now is independent music. And the fact that you actually made a career out of playing for independent artists and also offering pro level playing on these sessions to people that don't have record contracts but are willing to pay for your service. That's pretty remarkable. Absolutely. Thank you for listening today. Next Friday, Paul Smith from the Imperials will be my guest in two weeks. Part two of my conversation, a recast with Garth Justice. Have a fantastic week, everyone.